Well, we've been going through the book of Acts, and uh, last uh, time I spoke, I spoke on uh, Acts chapter 19, and I want to just give you a little bit of a background to Acts chapter 19 as we lead into Acts chapter 20. Uh, The Apostle Paul uh, spent around three years in Ephesus, and uh, Paul's ministry in Ephesus, and in fact the whole of Asia Minor, uh, had an incredible effect on the people of his day. And God changed Ephesus through the preacher of the gospel, and that was Paul. Uh, God changed Ephesus through the purified church, and God changed Ephesus through the prevailing word. Acts 19, verse 20, the Bible says, So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And uh, as I mentioned about the city of Ephesus, it was a uh, a city that was dominated by pagan rituals. It was a city that was dominated by demonic activity and immorality and idols. And Paul comes with the power of the gospel to this city and lives are transformed. You might remember I told you that Ephesus had the uh, Temple of Diana when it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And in Ephesus there were these silversmiths And they plied their trade making idols. So people from the known world would come to Ephesus. uh, They would go to worship the Temple of Diana and they would buy these idols that were made by the silversmiths of the town. And because of the ministry of the Apostle Paul and the Christians there, uh, the economy of Ephesus and of Asia Minor was affected. Uh, People burnt their books on magic And people got rid of their idols. And so the trade of idols uh, went down. And uh, that was affecting the silversmiths of the day. Uh, Here's some of the things that happened in Ephesus. Acts 19, verse 18. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found at 50,000 pieces of silver, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Uh, The word of God had an impact on the town of Ephesus. And as I mentioned, uh, the economy of the the, uh, trade of the idol makers started to go down. And there's an idol maker in the town and his name is Demetrius. And you might say that Demetrius calls a bit of a union meeting of the other idol makers Uh, to talk to them about the declining trade of idols. And you see this in Acts 19, verse 23. And the same time there arose no small stir about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines from Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth, Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that there be no gods which are made with hands, so that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world Worshippeth, And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city 
was filled with confusion. Ephesus, this city that was stepped in paganism and immorality and occultic activity and idol worship and greed, was impacted by the gospel. The demonic city was so affected by the preaching and the changed lives of the people of God that the whole city was stirred up. Wouldn't that be great if that happened today? Wouldn't that be great if that happened in the the city of Newcastle? That the gospel was faithfully preached and people were so stirred that it would affect the whole town. You know, we've got the same gospel that the Apostle Paul preached. Uh, The gospel is this, in 1 Corinthians 15 verse uh, 3, Christ died for our sins. This is what Paul says is the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. Have you received the gospel? Do you understand the gospel? That the Lord Jesus uh, went to the cross of Calvary and he died for your sins and he rose again on the third day? Do you understand the gospel? Have you accepted the gospel? Are you proclaiming the gospel? I hope you are. Well, uh, there were idols that people put away. And I wonder, when, when you became a believer, was there idols that you put away in your life? I used to love horses. I, at one stage, I had about a dozen horses. And uh, horses were my idols at one stage in my life. Uh, and uh, those uh, horses could have, uh, you know, taken away me uh, from the Lord. But fortunately, I, I came to know the Lord Jesus as Saviour. And horses are no longer my idols. What, what is your idol? It might be education. You know, there's some people that do course after course after course and their idol becomes their intellect and their education. What is your idol? It's important to ask that because we can have idols, even as born-again believers, uh, we can have idols in our lives. For some people, they've got an idol and it's in the corner of their lounge room. And that idol, they visit hour after hour and they listen to what that idol teaches them. It's the TV. What's your idol? Idolatry is a gross sin because it transgresses the greatest commandment. And the greatest commandment is stated in Matthew 22, verse 37, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment the Lord Jesus says. What's an idol? Well, an idol is anything that you love more, serve more, trust more, fear more than the living God. That's an idol. And so in this town, uh, idolatry was affected because of the preaching of the gospel. Uh, People took their demonic books and they burned them. They had a bonfire and they burned these demonic magic books. And the trade of idols started to go down. God changed Ephesus through a preacher of the gospel. God changed Ephesus through a purified church. And God changed Ephesus through the prevailing word, the word of God. And we, in our impure word world uh, needs the power of the gospel today and you and I if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus we need to be taking the gospel out to a lost and lonely world well if you go to Acts chapter 20 uh, Paul wanted to be in Jerusalem uh, for the day of Pentecost and you see this in verse 16 for Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not uh, because he would not spend the time in Asia for he hasted if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem 
the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. So when we come to chapter 20, Paul had already left Ephesus and he's at a place called Miletus. And Miletus is is in what we know as modern-day Turkey. And uh, Miletus had a great Grecian uh, influence in the city. Uh, So this is Paul's third missionary journey. And uh, towards the end of his third missionary journey, rather than go back to Ephesus, he calls the Ephesian elders from Ephesus to come to Miletus uh, to give them a special message. And we're just going to touch on part of that message this morning. Now, now I need to say that the elders in the Ephesian churches, uh, they were the pastors. And as you examine early church history, uh, a lot of the churches, they didn't meet in buildings like uh, we have today. They met in house churches. And I read that by the time of this, uh, the end of the third missionary journey, there was possibly a couple of thousand Christians in Ephesus. And those thousands of Christians would have met in house churches. Uh, There was a a man called Aquila and his wife Priscilla. And for a while they lived in Ephesus and uh, they had a church in their house. And you see this in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 19. The, The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. And so Aquila and Priscilla had a church uh, in their house. So the Ephesian elders are called to Miletus by the Apostle Paul and he addresses these house church leaders and he gives them a message. Uh, What he does is he reminds the elders of his own ministry and you see that in Acts 20 verse 18. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, "'Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia,' After what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take to you, uh, rec- wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Uh, He says he's he's pure from the blood of all men. Uh, Paul uh, declared the gospel to the Jew and Gentile. He was not going to be guilty of not sharing the gospel with those that were around him. And so he says that, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now if you go from verse 28 in Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul 
reinforces the responsibilities of the elders in the Ephesian churches. Now, I need to remind you, when we're talking about elders uh, here in the book of Acts and in the New Testament, elders are always male in the New Testament. Elders are to be the pastors, or elders are to be the male pastors of churches. Church leadership is to be male. Men and women are equal before God, but the church of God uh, has men in leadership. It's not saying that men are better, but God has designed men to be the leader in the home and the leader in the church. 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, so a bishop is an overseer, an elder, a pastor, He desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behaviour, given to hospitality, apt to teach. So men are to be the leaders in the church, and Paul reinforced that in the New Testament. And today, in our modern world, with so much pressure uh, on uh, having equal positions, men are still to be the leaders in the church. Many in the church don't see that. I'm not saying this church, but many in the church today uh, disobey the word of God when they put a woman in the place of being a pastor. Female pastors and elders uh, today in the church is the symptom, is symptomatic of the Laodicean church age that we're living in today. If you look at the seven churches in the book of Revelation, Uh, The last church before the rapture is the Laodicean church, and I believe that we're in Laodicean uh, church days today. And a characteristic of the Laodicean church is that they are lukewarm. And actually, if you look up the meaning to Laodicea, it means the people rule. Laio, laos, I should say in the Greek, means people, and decia means rule. And today, we are seeing the people ruling... Today, largely, particularly in the Western world, the people ruling the church rather than God ruling the church through his word. And that's one of the reasons why we have women pastors. Revelation 3 verse 16, uh, Jesus gives a description of the last day's church. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Jesus' description here is a a rich church that's spiritually poor. And that's a symptom of many churches today. Well, he gathers the Ephesian elders together, and uh, Paul talks about a number of things, and I just want to talk about three things uh, that we see in this passage. Paul talks about the endeavours of the church, Paul talks about the excellency of the church and Paul talks about the enemies of the church. Let's look at Acts 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. The primary endeavour of a male pastor of a church is to feed the church the word of God. The primary duty of a pastor is not social work. The primary duty of a pastor is not fundraising. 
The primary duty of a pastor is not office work. The primary duty of a pastor is not maintenance work. It's not counselling work. It's preaching work. Preaching and teaching the word of God. Robert Murray McSheen. Uh, He was a pastor in Scotland. I think Robert Murray McSheen, a very godly young man. Uh, They say when this pastor would walk to the pulpit, people would just start weeping. He was such a godly man and a powerful preacher. Robert, Robert Murray McSheen said this, A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. He knew the power of preaching. He knew the power of the pastorate. One pastor stated this, Preaching is a moral conscience of a nation. And that's true. Preaching is a moral conscience of the nation. The government is not the moral conscience of the nation. Preaching the word of God is a moral conscience of the nation. You think about the history of England and America and even in Australia when there were were godly and great times in the history of those nations, preaching was paramount and preaching made a difference and it was the moral conscience of those nations. Think about William Wilberforce, a man there in Parliament and standing against slavery and he stood against slavery because William Wilberforce knew the Lord Jesus and he knew that uh, people needed to be treated equally and uh, year after year, William Wilberforce stood against slavery and was defeated time and time again. I don't know if you've seen the movie about his life, uh, Amazing Grace, I think it's called. And after years and years of battling, William William Wilberforce, the conscience of the nation, stood and defeated slavery. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. Uh, Paul says, Take heed, therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. Now this verse, a couple of verses here, or this verse here in verse 28 implies two things. It implies that the pastor will preach the word and it also implies that the people will hear the words. My responsibility is to preach the word of God. Your responsibility is to hear the word of God and to act on that word. Uh, Paul, when he spoke to Timothy, and when he wrote to him, he said, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after, the, after their own lusts, Shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. The Apostle Paul knew how important it was for Timothy to be involved in a preaching ministry. It's important that preachers preach. It's important that people in the pews listen to the word of God. I want to ask you a question. How important is Sunday in your life? How important is it to you to come to the house of God, to hear the word of God, and to fellowship with the people of God? You know, too many uh, Christians today take a take-it-or-leave-it attitude towards coming to church. One of the things that's happened in the pandemic 
is that uh, there are congregations that are, are suffering the absence of people that were once in their congregation at, at a regular basis because they got used to staying home uh, as they stayed at home in the pandemic and they thinks, well, I, I can just stay home and I'll just listen online when it suits me. That's not church. We need to come and hear the word of God and we need to encourage believers, other believers that might be struggling and your presence in this church, you never know how it might affect someone for eternity. Even at morning tea, you might have an encouraging word to a person that turns them from despair to delight, that changes their day because you are present in this congregation. In Acts chapter 20, uh, uh, Paul uh, talks about the endeavours of the church and one of the great endeavours of the church is to preach the word of God. Uh, you know, uh, Amos warned the people in his day. He warned them of a famine of hearing the word of God and I think that's in our day. There's a famine of hearing the word of God. Amos 8 verse 11, Behold, the days uh, come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. What a terrible judgment on the people there that they failed to hear the words of the Lord. Paul talks about the endeavours of the church. Uh, secondly, he talks about the excellency of the church. Verse 28, Feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. The church is the most important institution on this earth. Jesus didn't purchase Parliament by his blood. Jesus didn't purchase the local council by his blood. Jesus purchased the church, Bible-believing Christians, by his blood. He purchased it with his own blood. How important is the church to you? Revelation 1 verse 5. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. I was on holidays, been on holidays for two weeks. It was important that when I was on holidays that I find a church and that I be in church. Uh, one church I was in was an Aboriginal church. Uh, second church was Savannah Way Baptist Church out in Catherine. And what a blessing it was to be there with the people of God I hear the preaching of God's word and, and, uh, and joined uh, with the, the people of God, encouraging them and them encouraging us. Great place to be on a Sunday. I recommend it. Savannah Way, uh, if you're ever in, Cap uh, ever in Catherine, Savannah Way Baptist Church. It's uh, Second Street and there you'll find a great fellowship. Well, the, the Lord Jesus paid an incredible price for the church, purchasing it with his own blood. The church has incredible value to Jesus. What value does the church have to you? One pastor wrote this. What makes the church so important? It is God's arm in the world. The church of Jesus Christ is the only organism in existence that God has designed, called and blessed to be the vehicle through which he will work in this world. The church is important because it is the only boat afloat that's uh, quite true. The only boat afloat in the sinking world, isn't it? Many Christians live as though the church were unimportant. 
haphazard attendance by those who claim to love Jesus is a blight on the name of the church if those who are saved do not demonstrate the importance of being faithful to the house of the Lord then why should we expect sinners to darken the doors good point there if we've got a lax attitude to go to church why should we expect anyone that's unsaved to come to church lackluster performance on behalf of Christians says that we place less value on the church than we do on worldly pursuits many see no need to arrive on time others see no need to arrive prepared to perform their duties before the Lord why if you treated your secular employment like you treat the house of God then you'd be out of a job in no time flat he writes yet the church and the work that goes on here is far more important and deserves far greater preparation and dedication than any job or recreational pursuit a lack of joy in our work for Jesus as we gather out to his house sends the wrong message to a watching world may I remind you that those few hours that you will spend down at the Lord's house are the most important thing you will do all week long you know there are there are people that uh, can complain about the length of sermons and I hear people I've heard uh, people complaining about length of sermons etc those same people that complain about the length of a pastor's sermon have no trouble sitting two or three hours in a theater watching a movie those same people uh, that can complain about uh, uh, the pastor's length of a pastor's sermon have no trouble going down to Sydney cricket ground for eight hours watching blokes hit a red ball. No problem whatsoever. But if the pastor speaks over 30 minutes, he's in trouble. I'm not saying this about this church, this is other churches. Right? In Acts chapter 20, Paul talks about the endeavours of the church. They were to preach the word. In Acts chapter 20, Paul talks about the excellency of the church. The church was purchased by the blood of Jesus and the church is important to Jesus and the church should be important to us. In Acts chapter 20, Paul also talks about the enemies of the church. Look at verse 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. I've, uh, this is the fourth churches I've, church I've pastored. I started pastoring in 1995, and I can tell you I've met Mrs. Wolf and I've met Mr. Wolf, and they do come into churches. I've been to theological college, and I've met Reverend Dr. Wolf as well. Uh, they're around. Uh, Paul warns here that after he's departing, grievous wolves. Uh, would enter in the church among them not sparing the flock also of your own selves uh, shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw to draw away disciples after them therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears we need to remember that the early church had enemies around them and the early church had enemies within them and every church needs to think about that. The Lord Jesus warned of wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, the wolves would look like sheep. They would dress like sheep. They would sound like sheep, but they'd be wolves in sheep's clothing. Beware of false prophets, Jesus said, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or 
figs or, or of thistles. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bring, bringeth forth evil fruits. Uh, we've just been in, the, in uh, the Northern Territory in Arnhem Land, and my, my daughter and my son-in-law and my two little uh, grandsons uh, are in a place in Arnhem Land and they're living in a, an, an Aboriginal town there. And the first night, our son-in-law, uh, he actually picked us up and uh, we couldn't get over to Arnhem Land because we didn't have a four-wheel drive. We hired a van and we had to leave the van on the other side of the uh, river and he had a four-wheel drive and we had to go across Carl's Crossing which is infested by crocodiles. And so we go across uh, Carl's Crossing and they take us to their town, which is about 40 minutes away from the, the crossing there. And by the time we got there, it was night. And our son-in-law took us uh, to the billabong and he put his headlights on the billabong. And in the billabong, uh, not far from their house, uh, we could see all these reflectors in the water. And uh, the reflectors were in twos. And, and he explained to us that those reflectors are what? They're crocodiles. The billabong was full of crocodiles. And you know what uh, they do? They, these crocodiles are, are literally wolves in sheep's clothing. You know what they do? In a billabong or in a river, they will disguise themselves, they will get under some lilies, and there might be a lily with a beautiful flower, and he'll place his head under that, and he will disguise himself, and you might be in a river and you see this beautiful lily floating, floating towards you, and it might have a beautiful flower on it, but underneath is a crocodile that wants to invite you to his lunch. Crocodiles, crocodiles camouflage themselves under the lilies. They're like wolves in sheep's clothing. And the Apostle Paul warns of the enemies of the church. When we left Arnhem Land, uh, the crossing was quite high. Carl's Crossing is one of the most dangerous crossings in all of Australia. And we got to the water when we were about to cross, and it was quite high and it was rushing over. And to the left of there were all these crocodiles just waiting, just looking at the road... Uh, because those crocodiles hope that a four-wheel drive will be washed in and, and they've got lunch that particular day. And we actually had to wind down our windows because the river was rushing, had to wind down our windows. It wasn't to say hello to the crocodiles. It was to get out of the car quick if our car got washed off the causeway and to get on the roof. The crocodiles are sneaky things. They look like lilies or floating logs. And Paul warned of sneaky things or sneaking people that would come into the church and they would look like sheep, they would sound like sheep, but inwardly they were ravening wolves. Beware of false prophets. Uh, Paul says here, After my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. He preached and he warned. He preached and he warned. He preached and he warned for three years. That's how important preaching and warning the people were to the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 20 
He talks about the endeavours of the church. He talks about the excellency of the church. The church has been purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus. And he talks about the enemies of the church. Paul uh, made a great address on that last day as he farewelled the Ephesian elders there. And he expected them to preach the word, to live the word, and to, to make sure that they continued their ministry in that dark town, that dark demonic town. He wanted to make sure that they continued preaching the gospel because it's the gospel that changes a darkened city, a demonic city, a depraved city, and it's a gospel that will change our world even today. And we must keep preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel until Jesus comes for his bride. Father, we thank you for Paul's address. We thank you that those elders in Ephesus there were keen to hear Paul's words. And Father, we want to pray for elders and pastors and deacons and uh, the laity in our churches. We want to pray, Lord, that you would use all of us, whatever position we're in, that we would take the church and its mission seriously, that we would be people that not only hear the gospel, that we would live the gospel, and that we would share the gospel. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.